Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 154 of the Thick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Whole Body Healing, an interview with Georgia Gray. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, when we were doing the prep to get ready for this podcast, I was really excited to do this interview. This woman is really fascinating. Her Instagram page is really fascinating. And unfortunately, I wasn't available. And Rich, to rub it in, you missed out on an amazing podcast interview. Georgia talked to us not only about how she healed from Lyme disease, from a diagnostic and a treatment standpoint, but she also talked to us about how she's now using her Lyme journey to help other people. She went into great detail about nutrition, combining Western and Eastern medicine, herbal therapies, different ways to treat Lyme migraines, and how she got to Lyme remission and has sustained Lyme remission. So Matt, unfortunately, I wasn't able to meet Georgia directly, but I will be able to enjoy this episode with the rest of our community. So without further ado, the powerful force behind whole body healing, Georgia Gray. Hey, Georgia, and welcome to the Thick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, good morning. So, Georgia, can you start by telling us where you're from? Yeah, so I am from Denver, Colorado, where I live right now. And, Georgia, can you talk to us a little bit about your background, what your life was like as a child? Mm -hmm. So, grew up here in Denver, was, you know, I would say a pretty normal, healthy kid, um, played sports, was always really athletic, and then went to college in Dallas at SMU where I studied English and education and then actually studied to become a teacher. So taught first grade for seven years. And then now I have my own holistic nutrition business. And Georgia, at what point of your life did you start to get sick? Yeah. So I think it, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this too, but there are definitely times where I look back and I wonder, okay, maybe, maybe that was Lyme all along. So it's, it's hard to say. I got bit by a tick when I was probably about eight years old um, in Virginia, where my grandparents live. And um, like I said, I'm out here in Colorado. So Lyme is definitely not something that is recognized out as much out in Denver, even though it's very prevalent um, in Colorado still. So got bit when I was a kid. Um, you know, I still remember it behind my ear and my mom pulling it out. And we didn't have that, you know, traditional bullseye rash. And so just thought it was fine. Um, so the first time I kind of really remember feeling like something was up was about my senior year of college. Um, started having really bad acid reflux, really debilitating migraines. Like I said, I was always this athlete. I played, you know, varsity lacrosse in high school and field hockey and was a runner and did triathlons. And then all of a sudden I had this joint pain and migraines and this reflux that wouldn't go away. So I did find out I was celiac, which is an autoimmune response to gluten, which again is one of those things is did that tick bite as a kid cause this celiac? I'm not totally sure. Um, so anyway, found out I was celiac, eliminated gluten, never had a migraine again. My joint pain got a lot better. Um, so that was, let's see, about 2011. Um, and then that kind of journey of finding out I was gluten-free just for the first time I was noticing, okay, what's in my food? Why is there this ingredient I can't pronounce? And I just went down this rabbit hole of nutrition and became really passionate about it. So while I was teaching first grade, I would come home from teaching, watch documentaries on nutrition, read books on nutrition, study it, cook as much as I could, and then realized, okay, if I'm you know, if I'm doing all of this research on nutrition, I might as well get a degree. So got my nutrition degree and kind of as I graduated from nutrition school, I moved back to Denver um, and I was still teaching, but, you know, kind of working on my nutrition on the side. And that fall of living in Denver, I moved into a house with some girlfriends and I was living in a basement room. Um, and the basement shower was just covered in black mold. Um, and at the time I was going through a really bad breakup. I think I just wasn't in, and I was, you know, 24. I think I just kind of said whatever. Um, and I was also teaching in a school with a flat roof, really old building also just covered in mold. So that fall, um, I started having really bad memory issues, um, really bad memory loss. And, as a, like I said, I was this athlete and I've, you know, admittedly I've had a lot of concussions. So I would have these conversations with my parents and then they would look at me like I was insane of, you know, Georgia, we just talked about this and I would miss meetings at work and my coworkers would look at me and be like, 
I, I just talked to you about this downstairs and I would have no memory. So that was, that was really my first, um, symptom, which was really scary because it was, okay, is it concussions? What do I, what do I do here? Um, that was the first thing I really started to notice. I then also, um, was having really bad sensitivity to light. I couldn't have the lights on in my classroom. Um, anything that was too loud, just this, again, these just weird symptoms. So that started happening that fall. And then about that winter, I remember waking up one morning and I had this, um, just this weird swelling in my left pinky. And Georgia, I, real quick, before we, before yeah. we go on with your journey, I just want to back up a little bit to give some perspective here and to get some insight into your, your tick awareness as, as a child. When you were bit by the tick as a child, you mentioned you didn't get the bullseye rash, so you didn't really think much of it. But what education did you and your parents at the time have about tick bites and Lyme disease and co-infections, and specifically that you don't have to have a bullseye rash to necessarily get Lyme disease? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you paused there. Um, you know, I think just at the time, to all of our best knowledge, we thought, okay, if you get bit by a tick, and then if you have that rash, then that's the only way you can have Lyme. Um, and interestingly enough, too, my mom, because we went on a walk around the fields in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, and my mom got bit on that walk, too, and she ended up getting sick with Lyme, too. Um so I don't think we knew what a co-infection was. Um, and our only, I think it was just, as I hear a lot, a lot of times with people that I know who have had it or who I've worked with, or it's just, okay, it's just a tick. Let's just take it off. We're fine. So I would say at the time it was little to no knowledge, co-infection, something never heard of, um, you know, only get Lyme if you have that traditional bullseye rash. So, um, and also Georgia, let's talk about how did you remove it? Did you just take your your fingers and literally rip it out of your, your arm or wherever it bit you, or did you use tweezers? What was the process to remove the tick? Well, I was a little kid, but I, I just, I remember it really clearly of feeling it behind my ear and it was just so deep in there. So I remember my mom, um, having to use tweezers and to really get it out of there. Cause it was, it was stuck. Which again, I think at the time, you know, we're all doing the best we could, but there was definitely no, okay, this is the correct way to remove a tick if I, if I'm bit. I think we're just kind of getting it out of there. <laughs> and then let's fast forward again. So you mentioned you, you were bit when you were young and then <clears throat> while you now you went through, went through school and now you're teaching. And I mean, you were living a, an action packed full life. You were teaching during the day, you were running up to 20 miles after work and then also going out and having a social life at night. It sounds like as well, before you started to crash when you were about 20, 24 years old. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. So I was having that joint, that weird pinky swelling. And simultaneously I was training, um, I'm trying to think which marathon I, I was training for, for my, um, first marathon at the time. And yeah, exactly. I would be running, teaching all day, which is so draining, um, running after school. Yeah, exactly. Going for long runs, then meeting friends at a bar and just, you know, really not taking care of myself. And then this like mysterious, um, you know, pinky swelling and um yeah it was just this kind of weird un unknowing process so georgia do you think that while you're you were so healthy you were exercising you were doing all of these these things intuitively that your body was just fighting off the line bacteria for so long until you were exposed to this mold in in your basement and this mold in your school environment and your body just couldn't take it anymore and that's when you started to get sick I think it was a, a, a combination of things. Um, so that fall, when I was starting having the memory issues, the joint stuff, you know, super weird. It, it was, yeah, kind of a combination of things. So then that winter, I ended up breaking my wrist skiing um, and went to the doctor, the, you know, hand specialist. And I was like, hey, while I'm here with my wrist, can you look at this this pinky? Um, and again, still ha like still having some of this energy stuff, memory stuff, but just kind of powering through. I think I was just kind of like, okay, I don't, I don't know, but let's just keep going. Let's and see what happens. And so they thought I had some, they I remember they called it a boutonniere fracture. And the doctor was saying, you know, did you slam your finger in a car door? And I was like, well, I think I would remember if I had some sort of impact like that. So um, it was, yeah, it was just kind of to answer your question. I think my body was just kind of just getting sicker and sicker and I just kind of 
didn't really know what else to do. And so I think I would just kind of put my head in the sand for a bit there. And George, I want to go back to, you mentioned that you were getting bad migraines and then you realized that you had this gluten allergy and you were diagnosed as celiac. And when you change your diet, that significantly improved your migraines. Many of our listeners and many people that reach out to us do suffer from chronic migraines. Do you think that something they should try is changing their diet, specifically eliminating gluten from their diet to try to help with their migraines? Absolutely. I have never had a migraine after eliminating gluten. So if you struggle with migraines, I think gluten is the best place to start. And were there any other hacks that you found that would help your symptoms before you got your official Lyme diagnosis with your light and sound sensitivity, your memory issues and things like that? Were there any other things you just kind of intuitively learned to help your symptoms? You know, I mean, as simple as it sounds, I think it was this matter of just kind of acknowledging, hey, bright lights bug me or hey, this is too loud and turning off lights in my in my workplace and not listening to super loud music and writing things down. So I think, again, sometimes we get in that place where we're trying to just bury our head in the sand. Um, and so I think in that kind of survival moment, it was just kind of acknowledging, all right, we're not turning the lights on in here. This is bothering me. And a lot of this happened pretty quickly in the fall of 2014 into the, the winter of, of 2015. What was your family's reaction? You mentioned that you would go and your parents would say, Georgia, you said that already, or you know, you repeated that. That doesn't make sense. How was your family reacting to your declining health? I think they were scared, you know. I think it, it really it freaked them out. And I was I was young and I was seemingly healthy. And I think that's what can be so hard with Lyme is you look fine. Um, and I was training for marathons, you know, I was a pretty healthy looking, seemingly normal person. So I think it, it was scary. And I think it was also this worry of, gosh, do you have these really severe, um, you know, some stuff going on with your brain from these concussions you had as an athlete and then you're skiing and then you're breaking your wrist. And so I think it was a lot of fear. So were you going to doctors at this point to figure out what was going on with your cognitive problems? Or were you solely focusing on your, your physical stuff, like your, your wrist and, and your, your um, joint swelling and things like that? Yeah, I think I kind of chalked up the cognitive problems of, okay, I just had too many concussions. I'm just going to, you know, again, make lists and do the best I can. And so broke my wrist that winter. And then I kept seeing that hand specialist all um, the rest of the year. And as I kept seeing them, they, you know, they put my finger in this little teeny funny brace and it kept getting worse. And on top of it, now I wasn't only just getting this joint, you know, slight swelling that would fluctuate. It was started, it was getting huge. And then on top of it, it was not only my pinky, but it was my fingers and then my wrists and then my knees. And, you know, I remember I even had a night again, just this fear of no one knowing what was wrong, but calling my parents in the middle of the night because my entire arm just froze. And I remember calling my parents just literally screaming in pain and crying and wondering, do I, do we go to the ER? Do we go to the hospital? And just kind of same thing in that bucket of the unknown of, okay, no one knows what's going on here. What do we, what do we do? You know, you have this weird swelling in your pinky joint. You have this phantom arm pain where I couldn't move it. And um, so yeah, I kept going to that hand doctor and then that summer it still wasn't getting better. And I just had just that internal gut feeling of this is not, this is internal. Something is going on inside. Something is wrong in my blood. And so I remember saying to the doctor, um, will you do some blood work on me? I, something feels off. I feel like this is inside of me. And I said, um, my dad has rheumatoid arthritis and I'm wondering if maybe I do too, will you just run these panels? And he said to me, no, you don't, you don't have RA, you don't have anything going on and direct quote. <laughs> and if you did have RA, I'm not, you wouldn't even be on the medication cause then you can't get pregnant. And <laughs> so I, and then I just, again, was that advocate that gut feeling something is wrong. This, I don't need to be in a cast. So then they ran blood work um, the next fall, 2015, where I'm training for another marathon. Um, and I get a voicemail of, hey, you do have rheumatoid arthritis and um, you should go see a rheumatologist. And that was it. 
from. George, you're right there. I just want to stop for a second. So this started in the fall of 2014, and you mentioned that they diagnosed you with rheumatoid arthritis in the fall of 2015. When did you know something was wrong? You said at some point you said something is wrong inside of me. Did that take about a year or was that mid midway throughout this one year journey? That was a few months in, into the journey. I think it was kind of keep kept keeping going back and being told, okay, put this in the cast. And then I, I, I wonder too, if maybe there was just some of that internal knowing that, okay, all of these seemingly weird symptoms are somehow connected. This isn't right. I also want to focus on your concussions. You mentioned you had several concussions as a child in, in relation to being an athlete. And something that, that we find interesting is that many people on this podcast that suffer from Lyme and have had it you know, from an early age and didn't know until later on in life have experienced multiple concussions. And some of them have thought that because of the neurological impairment and your balance impairment and all of the disruptions that Lyme does to your entire body and all the systems in your body, that people with Lyme that go undiagnosed are more likely to get concussions because of that. Do you think there's any validity there that people are more susceptible to concussions that um, if you have Lyme disease? I mean, I think that makes sense. I, I just think that Lyme has this ability to create all of these. Again, I find that, that what, that's what can be hard, but also comforting is that it's okay. We have all these seemingly random symptoms and that can feel overwhelming, but I do think there is some comfort in that breath of knowing, oh, okay, this is all just Lyme. So I think that does make sense for sure. And I think that's, yeah, one of those things where you look back and you're like, oh, that was probably Lyme. Or as a kid, I even wonder with, you know, my celiac, you know, maybe that was just Lyme of my, I was just this scrawny kid who was, couldn't really absorb nutrients. And I'm sure it just all was Lyme. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more with that, Georgia, because one of the most common themes we hear with our podcast guests is that they have food sensitivities, specifically gluten intolerances and sugar and dairy as well, and that they didn't develop those until they, they got bit by the tick or started to get sick from Lyme disease. So there's, there are a lot of connections that can seem random, but in, put into perspective with Lyme, they all kind of come together and make sense as a whole. So another common theme we've seen is you mentioned that your doctor said to you, well, now here we are, you're a year in from being sick your symptoms are worsening and you get an arthritis diagnosis. And your doctor says, well, you're a female. And if I give you medication, you're not gonna be able to get pregnant. So there's nothing I can do for you. So we've also seen that many female Lyme patients are treated differently than male Lyme patients, that they're dismissed more easily as being hormonal or, you know, if for mothers, it's just, you're a stressed mom or for, you know, young woman, it's, you're just too stressed and you're taking on too much. You need to relax. And that seems to be more common in the female world than the male world. Do you think that that played a role in your diagnostic journey being a little bit longer than it should have been? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're very pat on the head and it's, you know, that hysteria of, you know, you're fine. This is emotional and and then too, it just, um, I just found it so upsetting of uh, being so nonchalant about, you know, even if you're on this immunosuppressant, you're not going to have kids or it's going to affect your fertility. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I even truthfully had that journey with, even when I had that diagnosis um, and I, I see that in, in my clients and people that I know who have had it. So I really, really encourage everyone, male or female to, I think it's so important to advocate for yourself because, you know, if I had enough said, Hey, something is going on internally, who knows where I would be. And then it, it was the same thing of, I then, you know, get this RA diagnosis, go to a rheumatologist who, you know, I'm sitting in the waiting room and there's just IVs and drips and all of these, you know, like those uncrustable white bread sandwiches. And I remember looking at it being like, well, this is why people have RA. I mean, we're eating white bread and <laughs> high fructose corn syrup. This is why we're on a drip here. And the doctor again saying to me, wanting to put me on methotrexate. And again, it was just that internal feeling where even with this RA diagnosis, I was sitting there like, no, I don't have RA. I I'm not getting on this medication. This is not rheumatoid arthritis something is still up. Um, and thankfully I had my nutrition degree at the time. And so I, I started 
there. But I, again, I had this RA diagnosis, still didn't have a Lyme diagnosis. Um, and yeah, it was a year later, kind of still in that same place, but knew I was on the track to figuring out what was going on. And George, it took this long, even with you being aggressive and telling your doctor something else is wrong, I need you to run tests. And they were either just blowing you off altogether or saying, this is what it is, just deal with it. So what advice would you give to people who are really sick? Because you know what it's like to be in the throes of Lyme and can't fight for themselves. I mean, you had this background in nutrition and you had all this, this family support. So what advice would you give to others that, that need additional support and can't fight for themselves and are at that part of their journey right now? Yeah, great question. And I think that's really important. Um, I think for at that part in your journey and really wherever you are with Lyme, it's, you don't even know what's going on, right? Like you don't even know what's going on in your body. And then on top of it, you're confused and having brain fog and memory issues. So what I found really helpful is to find one or two people that when you need to talk about Lyme, those are your go-to. Um, because when you talk to too many people, you know, everyone's well-intended, of course, but a lot of people don't really get it. And sometimes talking to too many people can make you feel worse. So I would find two people to be who you confide in. And then if you're in a place where you can't fight for yourself, have someone be that advocate. So for me, I had my mom who thank God had Lyme. So she gets it. And then I had my best friend and my roommate at the time who was, um, just that emotional support. And so I would have, you know, my mom come to appointments with me, even as a 24, 25 year old. So I would say, and again, I think it can be so hard to ask people to do that, but people want to help you. And so I would say, find those one to two people and have them come to appointments with you and and validate that for you. And I think it's a really important tip because I had my mother during my Lyme journey, you had your mother and, and your best friend. And oftentimes, never mind with our brain fog and being sick and being confused, it's helpful to have a, a set, you know, a third party to provide feedback to make sure you're on the right track and consider all options. I know in my case, and maybe in your case, there are things that I just would forget, honestly. And my mother would bring up and say, hey, this happened. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened as well. So it's important to have somebody else there to help help you when you're this sick with your doctors. Totally. And ask the right questions too, when you might not be thinking clearly. So now you mentioned your mom had Lyme. So at this point now you're a year in and you have the RA diagnosis. Where was your mom at with her Lyme journey at this time? She was, um, had the diagnosis, but was flailing of what do we do here? So I think she was in that camp where she had her Lyme diagnosis, was starting some homeopathic treatment, but, um, you know, really was better. Hers was pretty bad when I was in college. So she was better, but still, you know, still kind of flailing of what, what do I do here? But definitely um, thinking a little more clearly than I was. So George, I'm just curious, you were both bit at the same time when you were young. Your mom then gets a Lyme diagnosis. You have many classic Lyme symptoms. You knew something else was going on. Why weren't your doctors saying to you, hey, Georgia, maybe you have Lyme disease as well, like your mom. You had a tick bite when you were younger. Your mom has Lyme and you feel all the classic symptoms. Why do you think your diagnostic journey was longer than your mom's? Yeah, I think a lot of it was because um, I was bit when I was so young. And so I think it was this belief. Well, first, no one asked would even put Lyme in that category of something looked into. Um, and then I also think it was, well, you were a bit when you were so young, but it, it finally was um, a homeopathic doctor who worked with my mom, who was the first person to say, again, that gut feeling. So it was that, that next January, he was like, hey, I have this gut feeling that you have Lyme. And he was the first person based on, again, that instinct of, I'm going to test you for this. And I remember sitting there like, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, maybe there was part of me that was like, oh, this is, is this real? Um, so it, again, it was so many different people. And then that advocating for myself and then all of these kind of dots that it finally led me to that diagnosis a little over a year later. Now, Georgia, did you ever think Lyme disease before the homeopathic doctor that treated your mom brought it up? Were you ever thinking, hey, maybe I have Lyme as well prior to that? 
you know, I really don't think I did. I think just because, again, that bite was when I was so young and I, I didn't have that knowledge of black mold that I do now. Um, it really didn't cross my mind. And I even had one of my sister was living in New York at the time and she had a coworker who was super sick with Lyme. And that whole year he was flying out to Denver from New York to see this guy who eventually diagnosed me and was working with my mom. And so I even had, you know, really close interaction with people who were super sick with Lyme. And I still, for whatever reason, didn't think that I would have it too. And when you were with the RA doctor, did, did this doctor try to get you on any, you mentioned immunosuppressants. Did you end up taking any of these drugs that the, the rheumatologist tried to prescribe you before going to see your more holistic homeopathic doctor? No, no. I left that appointment crying and was like, I am not doing this. I'm, I knew that wasn't it. I knew I didn't want to do this to my system. And so I just said, no. So once again, you made the best decision for your health, not even knowing what was causing your illness, but looking back, it was certainly the right decision to refuse that medication because going on an immunosuppressant would only allow Lyme to flourish and, and thrive even more in your body. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I later found out as we can dig into that it's not RA, it's just Lyme. So it would not only be this immunosuppressant drug, but it would be not even treating the right thing. And I just have to point out that it, it, it's not surprising, but it's just frustrating to hear that all of these doctors, especially an arthritis doctor, an RA doctor, knows your symptoms, their classic Lyme disease symptoms, never even thought to ask you, do you have a history of Lyme? Were you ever bit by a tick? Does anybody in your family have Lyme? Should we even test you for Lyme? It never even came up as a possibility with any of your doctors you were seeing at this time, which just goes to show we have such a long way to go in awareness and better recognizing Lyme as the real disease that it is. Yeah, absolutely. So now talk to us more about when you finally go to this, this homeopathic doctor that your mom saw and how you got diagnosed. Was it a clinical diagnosis? Was there lab work done? How did you find out that you actually had Lyme disease? Yeah. So again, it was still this longer process. So I, um, so he was homeopathic, um, more chiropractor trained, and he does electal electrodermal screening where it, it's, you know, it is what it is, but it's what led me to down this journey um, to find it out. So I'm grateful for it. But basically it's using the frequency of these infections. And then if they appear in your body, it comes up on this scan. So I think there was definitely part of me at first that um, felt, okay, this is homeopathic. This is a little out there compared to what I'm used to maybe just maybe this isn't real. <laughs> um, but that was where it started. And then, so that was, I think a Tuesday. And then that Saturday I ended up tearing my ACL skiing, um, and had surgery and post-surgery I flared up even more. So then that kind of February, I then had Lyme and then all of these co-infections were showing up as well. So that was my first diagnosis. And then I was able to find a Lyme literate doctor in Denver, um, which I would always recommend if you've been bit or if that's you know something that you're curious about is going online, searching a Lyme literate doctor in your area. I found one in Denver, but it was a uh, gosh, seven month wait list. So I knew I had this appointment that September. So I kept working with the homeopathic doctor, just doing a ton of herbs. And then that September, got into the Lyme literate doctor. And then he um, used an Igenix test, which um, was a, you can do both blood and urine. Um, I did blood. And then that's when it came back with Lyme and the co-infection. So point being, I think that then that fall, when I started seeing the Lyme literate doctor, that's when I was like, oh, this is, this is real. This is a real thing. I, I think I kind of had this hope of maybe I don't really have it. Um, and then when it's in your blood, it's, you can't argue. <laughs> so that was a full two year period from the time you got sick until you finally got your diagnosis from your lab work through hygienics that you actually believed your diagnosis because, you know, and admittedly, when we first started to take boot camp, we had a lot of people talk to us about these frequency tests, like electromagnetic testing. And I was like, no way, I don't believe that being honest. And we've had so many people over and over and over again, tell us 
that frequency testing is what brought Lyme into the picture as popping positive. And then it was backed up and confirmed by blood work testing. So I am now a believer in frequency testing as a result of just hearing so many stories of people saying, yeah, it sounded crazy to me too. And then I got to follow up blood work and I had Lyme disease and I had a ton of co-infection. So I think that's another avenue that people sort of shy away from because it seems so woo woo, but it's really, I think, not a bad first step to see. And then as we know, the blood work is not really perfect. Even Igenix, which is probably the best lab and the most highly recommended lab in the world is still not a perfect test for Lyme disease and co-infections. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good point of just exploring any avenue you can. And George, you talk to us about now um, what other co-infections you had. You said, yeah, this Igenix test popped a whole bunch of other co-infections. So what else did you have besides Lyme disease? So I had... Babesia and Bartonella um, were my, my big ones. And then on top of it too, again, with having surgery and going under anesthesia, I then had a big, um, I was also with the frequency testing, having Candida and Epstein-Barr. And so my body was just like shot. And I think that's what I always feel and even say to the people I work with that I think Lyme and is this invitation to slow down and to take care of yourself. And for me, I refused to do that until I tore my ACL and until I was in bed where I had nothing to do but slow down. And it was just the universe saying, all right, you're done running marathons and going out too late and not focusing on your self-care. And so it really, um, I think that's that kind of bigger message with it if as hard as that can be is that it is this it forces us because we don't have a choice but to slow down and really take care of us yeah and and that's the next point I wanted to make is you're two years in you're getting worse and worse but yet you clearly already we can tell are so strong in a fighter and you were continuing to live your life until basically you weren't able to you physically were not able to do what you needed to do and that's what forced you to sort of step back and then I think focus on your healing. But talk to us about over that two-year window before you go into your treatment, how were your symptoms worsening? You talked to us about your symptoms in the beginning, but now two years in, what additional symptoms and what symptoms worsened from the beginning were you, you know, were you experiencing throughout this period? Yeah. Um, so I was very jointy. Like my joints were just killer. So my left pinky that started with just kind of that fluctuating swelling got enormous. Um, and then it would be my fingers couldn't bend them, um, really bad fatigue to the point where, like I mentioned, I was teaching and then my kids would go to art class and I would just lay on the floor of my classroom because I couldn't move. And then I would come home from school and get in bed because I couldn't move. And again, I was this person used to running 20 miles and then all of a sudden I couldn't move. So still with the lights, still with the noise, really bad, um, neck pain too, just like a super stiff neck. Um, like, oh, brain fog, <laughs> good timing with that. Really bad brain fog. Um, I couldn't remember how to spell words. Um, thank God I had an amazing co-teacher at the time where I would be, you know, trying to write on the board and I'd be like, what am I saying? <laughs> and my co-teacher just knew how to jump in and um, help me there. So again, finding those supports. So yeah, just, I would say fatigue, joint pain, um, brain fog, memory loss, sensitivity to that like light and sound. Um, but what was really helpful too that I did was um, every day I would write down my symptoms in a notebook um, in, in a non-emotional way and in a non-feeling sorry for myself way, but just write down, okay, today is March 6th. I have this, this, and this, and then move on. And so then when I would go to the doctor, I could say, here's what I've been feeling because we all know we, we're not going to remember once we <laughs> go to the doctor. So when you saw your homeopathic doctor and you were diagnosed with Lyme from the, from the frequency testing, were you given anything to treat Lyme or were you still sort of like on the fence? Like, I don't really know if I have this and just kind of went on with your journey until you got that formal diagnosis through Igenix. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did a bit of the herbs. I would say he probably helped me more with like the Epstein-Barr and the Candida and kind of cleaning that up a bit with supplements. Um, and then I think too, once I got that Lyme diagnosis, thank goodness that I had a degree in nutrition. So then I started digging into the nutrition of it. Um, and I had put my 
hopes of pursuing a nutrition career on hold because I realized too, again, that inner, inner voice of, okay, whoa, I need to focus on me and myself. So I would say that kind of, you know, six, seven month time period where I had this Lyme diagnosis, it was, you know, recovering from surgery, um, trying to get my energy back and, um, yeah, focusing on kind of more of like those other conditions and doing some herbs, but I, I don't think I was really fighting it yet. And I think mentally too, I knew I was seeing this Lyme litter, a doctor in September. And so that's when I was kind of gearing up of, okay, September, this is when we're going to tackle it. And were you still teaching now you had this major surgery, you finally get this diagnosis of Lyme and co-infections, your Bartonella and your Babesia. Were you still teaching at that point, two years in? I, I don't know how I was, but I was, um, again, thank goodness. I had a boss, my principal, his wife had Lyme disease. He was from Connecticut. Um, so he got it. So I was so fortunate there because absolutely there were times where I couldn't do my job and I had to work it with him where I said on, we made an agreement where, um, on Tuesdays I would sleep in and come to work late. And so I feel really fortunate, um, that I had a boss who got it because I think I, my career could have been in jeopardy for sure. And I do also want to address, you mentioned that you were keeping a symptom journal, but from my personal experience and many of our guests experience, doctors really don't want to hear in detail about your symptoms, especially traditional, you know, Western doctors. So which doctor was it? Was it the, was it the, the homeopathic doctor and your Lyme litter doctor that were taking the time to sit with you and go over your symptoms? Because that's an uncommon scenario as well, unless you're seeing more of a holistic or a Lyme litter doctor, it sounds like. Yeah, good, good point. So in, I mean, there's so many doctors in that kind of lull between the homeopathic doctor and um, the Lyme doctor, I will say I'm grateful for my homeopathic doctor who diagnosed me, but he was, you know, 10 minute, 15 minute appointments and then see ya. Um, so I don't think he was someone who took the time, which I think was also part of why I didn't really want to dig into it more. Um, but I found this amazing integrative doctor in Boulder and she, she was huge in my health journey too. And she's actually now a Lyme literate doctor in Colorado because she has Lyme herself. But anyway, she sat with me for an hour and she was the person who, in again, in between that time, she figured out, um, that I had chronic black mold through, um, that testing and, you know, some genetic testing where I had the MTHFR. So we really worked on that detoxification process and she would sit with me for an hour and just talk and empathize. And so she was amazing in that. I think she was the first person that really validated that I didn't feel well. Um, so I had her and then my next doctor, my Lyme literate doctor, he, I wouldn't say empathy was his strength, but he was really good at what he did and he got me better. And, um, I think it's like this matter of knowing, okay, you're going to get me better, but you're not going to make me feel better emotionally. So I'm going to go to a counselor for that. And so I think it was, yeah, kind of fine. Again, being that advocate for yourself of where can I find um, the right people for different things. So a couple of follow-ups on that. So when you were seeing the integrative doctor, you mentioned that that integrative doctor tested for mold and then you realized you had mold exposure and then you also got tested. You had that that detox gene, the MTHFR gene, which prevents you from detoxing properly, and that that doctor helped you address both of those issues. Many people reach out to us and ask, how do I know if I'm being impacted by mold? And it's really twofold, right? How do I know if I'm, if I'm from a system, from a body test, was I exposed to mold? And also from a home and a work perspective, what kind of testing did the integrative doctor do to prove you had mold exposure? Mm -hmm. We did, I believe we did some um, different blood work that we did and then she had, oh gosh, I can't remember the testing of it, but she had put me on something that we figured it out. And I think too, it was just a matter of, okay, where do you work? Describe the building where you work, what's it like? And again, it was that flat roof, 1920s building. I could see the mold on the ceiling in my classroom. Um, and then on top of it, I had that moldy shower. So I think, and you know, I've done some, I think too, if you're someone that like, you've maybe tried detoxing methods before, or if you're someone that like has one drink and is hungover, um, or you can't lose weight or sometimes to those kinds of symptoms can be indicative that your body's not detoxing. So really it was more of the integrative doctor gave you the time of day to talk to you about your life. And then you had all of these red flags, 
which then led to those observations being proved out in these tests that were done by the integrative doctor. Now, once you knew you were exposed to mold, and once you knew that you had this genetic deficiency to not properly detox, you still didn't see your Lyme litter doctor. So what was your integrative doctor doing to help you overcome those obstacles in your life? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I think just having someone that listened to me was huge. Um, and then I was put on, I believe it's called chlorestramine. Am I saying that right? It was, it's a cholesterol medication. Um, and that can bind to the mold in your body. Um, and that was huge was starting that detoxification process. And then again, on top of it too, I was, you know, I saw the anesthesia in my body recovering from surgery. And so I, um, started to be pretty diligent about getting in an infrared sauna, um, which was also part of her request. And then, and then too, I think it was that, um, that nudge from her, from myself, from the universe of no more running, you need to slow down, no more jumping off cliff skiing because you tore your CL, you know, it's, it was now, um, this new, not only diagnosis, but shift in identity. And so that's something that was really tough. Um, that's something I see with people I work with, but I think it's also, um, really important that you have to kind of acknowledge that this person I used to be, I'm not anymore because I can't, but that's okay because I'm coming into this new version of me that's um, maybe a little gentler on yourself and slows down and um, kind of creating a new new person in, in a lot of senses. I just want to point again, point out again how strong you are. And just from a third party hearing your story, you really started treating Lyme without knowing it from the beginning by doing all of these things. You got diagnosed with celiac, you change your diet, which is something you would do anyway with a Lyme diagnosis. You then you realize just by talking it out with an integrated doctor, you're being exposed to mold. And then you have some testing and you realize you have this MTHFR mutation. And then you start to take these binders and you start to do the infrared sauna. All of these things are used to treat Lyme as well to detox. So you really started your healing journey way before you got your diagnosis, little by little, you were kind of putting the pieces together until you got your, your final aha moment, which was your Lyme litter doctor proving to you, you have Lyme with the hygienics testing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It and, definitely was a journey. <laughs> and, and you hit on another key part there because I've come to learn, you know, personally and through everybody I speak to in the Lyme community that healing from Lyme is both physical and emotional. And you mentioned that before you saw your Lyme litter doctor, that there were certain parts of your your symptomology and your healing that you had to seek different professionals to help you with. So your integrative doctor was sort of your part emotional support, part talk it out. Your Lyme litter doctor was a doctor who was going to help you feel better with your physical side. But you also mentioned that you would see a counselor because there obviously is an emotional strain and a mental strain with being chronically ill, not knowing the cause and your life taking a decline. So talk to us about the importance you found in seeing a counselor to talk through from an emotional standpoint, the illness that you now know to be Lyme disease. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, we can eat all the kale we want. We can take our supplements, we can take our medication, but if we're not addressing that emotional piece of chronic illness, we will never get better. Um, so, you know, I think talking to someone professional when you're sick is huge. Um, and then the biggest game changer for me with my healing and, you know, really my life in general was learning how to meditate and starting a meditation and a mindfulness practice. And what was so, I think, key for me in that emotional space was um, learning how to detach from the disease. I think it was like for so many people, it's so hard to get these diagnoses at any age. Um being told there's no cure, being told you're going to have this for the rest of your life, being told your body's attacking itself and against you. And it's just all these really harmful mindsets. So I think what was huge for me was one, learning how to meditate, be present with my body, be present with my symptoms of like, okay, my joints are hurting. I'm going to notice it, but I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. So it's, I think it's this really fine balance of like, I'm going to write down my symptoms, but I'm not going to wallow in them. So I even shifting things like, I don't call it my Lyme disease. It's not mine. It's just something that was in my body and whatever. I'm just not going to think about it all the time. And I'm, but I'm not going to deny it either. So again, I think it's this balance where it's like, notice your symptoms, notice your pain. They're valid. It's there, but don't attach to it. You are not your disease. Um, and then just, again, that daily mindfulness and meditation was, was so, so key um, for me to just, 
yeah, have these mindset shifts for sure. And that, that was such a powerful response. And one of the things we get often is people telling us, you know, I hear all the time meditation helps because we know Lyme gets you stuck in that fight or flight mode and that your nervous system gets overwhelmed and meditation and a lot of these, you know, vagus nerve exercises can help with that. But many people struggle with, well, how do I really meditate? I can't do it. And we struggle and I struggle with explaining that. So how would you describe your meditation and how it works for you? So maybe you can benefit others who are struggling with the concept of meditating to sort of calm their nervous systems down and help them help put their bodies in a better position to heal. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I was the same too, of how do I do this? This is not for me. I think a lot of us who get sick with Lyme, and I say this because this used to be me and I see this with my clients. It's like, we're very, we can be really type A, go, 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 like perfectionist tendencies. And so to then like sit down on a cushion can kind of feel, you know, not productive maybe. Um, so I, point being, I, I get that sentiment of, wait, where do I start? How do I do this? Um, so for me, I had someone teach me, but then I found a lot of benefits learning through apps, like through Headspace. I loved just those little five minutes guided ones. Um, but something that I always encourage my clients too, is like, I think sometimes we have this perspective that meditation needs to be sitting on a cushion with mala beads and candles for two hours, but your mindfulness and your meditation practice can be taking three intentional deep breaths and just noticing it. So if you're new to it, I would one suggest starting with one of those amazing apps like a Headspace or um, I really like Insight Timer, or if you're not an app person, just sitting down and closing your eyes. And all you need to do is breathe in and out and just notice your breath and thoughts will come and that's okay. But again, that's where we can just observe the thought and and then move on. Um, and so now, you know, that's a part of, of my daily practice. And, um, but again, that journey of self-love and acceptance and slowing down and mindfulness, I think beyond anything is what has really helped me the most. So Georgia, now that you finally got your diagnosis and you believed your diagnosis with your Lyme litter doctor, what were your steps to start treating your Lyme disease? Um, yeah, so I was on, I started seeing my doctor every two months. Um, and we did a mix of herbs and then different antibiotics, which I have to admit as someone who does holistic nutrition, that was one more kind of mental, uh, battle to go through. Um, I definitely resisted them for a while, um, because I was resistant to just be on antibiotics, but again, got to that place of self-acceptance of, Hey, you know, I have this infection in my body and I'm going to clean up my diet and I'm going to take my herbs and my supplements and do all these amazing holistic things. But I also, I think there's a place for that too. So I had a protocol of, um, those different medications and then, um, different herbs. Um, I also, again, just started to shift who I was. I was, I stopped running and I started doing more gentle yoga or going for a walk or even just taking a nap and being okay with that. Um, and I just really dug into learning how to take care of myself. So, taking naps when I needed, meditating every day after school, um, taking baths with Epsom salts and essential oils and reading, you know, spiritual books and self-help books and, um, you know, not making so many plans that I couldn't do anymore. Um, so again, you know, that was hard. Um, but I, was paying out of pocket for this. And so I was like, you know, if I'm going to be paying $900 a visit, I'm not going to be going to the bar till 2 a.m. anymore. I'm, I'm getting better from this. And George, I think that's an important tip because I know I personally, when I was first diagnosed, I knew what my body needed to heal. And yet I still fought it because I wanted to be able to live what I thought was my normal life. So I think that's a really important tip and hack for people that it's okay to listen to your body. If you have to sleep, it's okay to sleep in the middle of the day. If you have to rest, it's okay. If you can't do what you used to do, that's okay. And to be gentle on yourself and allow your body to heal. Otherwise you're just going to make it harder for your body to recover from this illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. And then I think with that, again, I was grateful that I had 
um, my nutrition degree. So I just really dug into how do I heal my gut? How do I eat for this? And um, so that was huge along with like the protocols with the Lyme literate doctor. Again, I was really um, consistent with the saunas. Um, acupuncture was huge for me in that healing process. Cause again, I was so jointy had such a joint pain. Um, and then I used a, a Rife machine almost daily and that was really helpful as well. And it's just, it's all, I feel like Lyme is such a matter of just like throwing things out the wall and if it sticks great and if not, you just move on to the next thing. So Georgia, you mentioned that you were on antibiotics and at first you resisted, but you were using a combination of antibiotics and herbs. Do you recall any specific types of antibiotics or herbs that you were on through your Lyme litter doctor? Yeah, the one that really helped me. So I um, was able to get rid of the Lyme went away pretty quickly, um, but the Bartonella stuck around for a while. Um, so I, I think the big one for me was Cemento. So um, that was something even once I went into remission from Lyme, if I ever kind of thought it was maybe coming back or feeling jointy, I would just order some more. So that's Cemento one. Um, but gosh, I had, I, I mean, I can even begin to tell you all the different <laughs> ones I was on, but um, along with that notebook, I also kept a folder. So every appointment I would keep a list of what I was on and then um, write down what happened at the appointment. And my mom would help me with that too. So I think that can be helpful too, to just keep track of it all. And now your mom is sort of going through a parallel journey, but maybe it was a little bit more ahead because she got an earlier diagnosis. So where is your mom at at this point now when you're doing this, this sort of whole body, you know, combination treatment for your Lyme disease? Mm -hmm. So she then, you know, kind of similar, got into the same doctor um, and went down a really similar path of, um, you know, working on it the same way I was, but had to, you know, get on that wait list too. I think she, she struggled work. I was kind of mentioning how my, my doctor, he's really good at killing it, but he's not great at um, empathy. So I think that was harder for my mom. So she ended up the kind of funny full circle, the um, integrative doctor in Boulder ended up getting Lyme disease. And then now she runs a lot. She's now Lyme literate, a Lyme literate doctor. So my mom ended up switching to her, um, which was really good for a better fit for her. Um, so again, I think it's that matter of just like being that advocate where if it's not working, if it's not a fit, find someone else. And looking back, Georgia, do you think that you, do you have any regrets about your treatment protocol using antibiotics in combination with an herbal protocol? No, no, because I definitely had... Again, it was hard for me to do that, but um, I think we can, it's easy to swing in both directions where we can eat like crap and only do antibiotics, or we can be in this really, really restrictive camp with our food and our diet and only do herbs. And sometimes we just need that balance. Um, and, you know, I think I got to that point in my journey too, where again, getting into that place where I was this person that was like a perfectionist and type A and go, go, go. I think I then swung too far in that direction where I was like, no coffee, no caffeine, no this, no this, no this. And then it just kind of made me sad. So I think, yes, we need to be on these like strict protocols to heal and get better, but then we need to find that balance once our gut is healthy, where now I'm in a place where if I want a glass of wine and gluten-free pizza, I'm going to do it and not feel bad about it. Because I think when we're so restrictive, then again, you're in that place where you're just still sick. Um, so point being, I don't have regrets with antibiotics. I think it was this matter of balance for me. And then I was very proactive with um, getting my gut healthy and, and maintaining gut health um, so that any, you know, any effects that antibiotics had on my microbiome, I made sure I, I made up with later on. And Georgia, one of the things we've observed by now interviewing over 150 podcast guests is their positions that antibiotics are the miracle drug and their positions that the natural herbal route is a miracle drug, but the guests that have had the most success on our podcast are the ones like you. And again, you're another success story who combine herbal and natural protocols with antibiotics and together they seem to help our guests like you get into the best place to recover and get through this journey. Right. Right. So talk to us more though. This is another key part. Many of our guests say, 
oh, I tried the holistic approach with antibiotics, but the herbs and the antibiotics, then I got really sick and my gut health was destroyed. So what did you do to keep your gut health in check, knowing the antibiotics were depleting your gut health and you had to address that while you were taking this combination therapy of antibiotics and herbs? Yeah, definitely. So I followed and still follow a mostly paleo diet. Um, so that I think is huge for gut health with removing the foods that are harming your gut. Um, if paleo seems too big, too much, I would just start with eliminating processed food, eliminating sugar, and then going gluten-free is, is the biggie. So it was removing those foods that were harmful. And that also made my joints worse. You know, I, um, I found that grains really affected my joints and I don't, I don't buy grains still, because again, that's part of my kind of maintenance protocol with it. still. um, so remove those foods that were harmful. And then, um, daily bone broth was huge for just repairing and just that soothing, um, feeling on, in my gut. Um, so that I think was something that really put me over the hump. And another interesting observation is you started your journey with energy testing or frequency testing, and you were, you know, you were sort of skeptical about it. But you now you mentioned that in your treatment journey, you're using a Rife machine, which is similar. It's using frequencies and energy to help you heal from Lyme. So what made you go back to that after being so skeptical about the testing in the beginning? Yeah, good point. Um, I think, again, it's just this matter of there's so much uncertainty with Lyme. I said this to a friend with Lyme the other day. I was like, I think I was at a point in my journey where if you said you need to walk backwards for the rest of your life, I would have done it where you're just kind of like, I don't care, whatever works, I'll, I'll do it. Um, so I think it maybe started there, but the rife, the rife in conjunction with supplements and antibiotics really helped. Um, it definitely made me hurt. Um, but I, I tried to flip that of, again, instead of being victim of this is making me hurt because I'm in pain of, oh, my body's fighting this. This is going away. So talk to us about what gains you made with the Rife machine. So you said that it did cause you to herx, which really is just the die off and the toxins in your body responding to that, making you feel temporarily worse before you feel better. But what were the gains and the symptom relief you, you got from using the Rife machine? Um, you know, I really credit it to helping get rid of that Epstein-Barr candida that's you know, making Lyme worse. And then I think um, it just really helped fight it off and those co-infections and um, my machine was programmed for um, Lyme and all the co-infections. So I think, again, it's all the things, like there's not one magic bullet I wish there was to, to get better from this. And I think some things work for some people and some things don't, but for me that um, seemed to really help. And now knowing that you're, you're likely, and you mentioned you herxed a little bit from the Rife machine, but you're probably herxing and now feeling a little bit worse before you feel better. Were you still teaching at this point? I just don't know how you were able to teach and, and do all this while going through aggressive Lyme treatment and being so sick. Yeah, I don't really know how it was either. Yeah, I was still teaching and I, I was still teaching in a infected, like a building covered in mold. So I don't, I don't, I really don't know how I did it. I think I just kind of powered through, slept during the day when I could, and then I mean, my summer's off, thank God. I would sleep till 11.30 every day, July to August. And yeah, I don't really know how I did it. And that that really was too a part of me leaving, to, you know, my passion for nutrition and helping people with Lyme and other autoimmune conditions. But also part of me leaving was, I can't do this anymore. My Even when I was in remission teaching, it, it was still too much um, for me physically. So how long were you on this treatment for? You did all these different things we discussed. How long were you on these treatments before you stopped? And you just mentioned that you did reach remission. So when did you reach remission and stop this, this aggressive Lyme treatment and, and co-infection treatment? Yeah, it was almost exactly two years of, of treatment. Um, and it was hard. You know, I think, like I said, I had appointments every two months and then I switched every three months and then I got the Lyme and the Babesia went away relatively quickly. So I think I had this hope of like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick this. And then Bartonella did not go away for a year and a half. So that was, that part was draining where it, um, it stuck around. Um, but yeah, it was about two years before, before I was in remission from it. 
And again, a sign of your strength, you literally worked throughout all this and you decided to step down from being a teacher once you were in remission to then go into the next phase of your life, which is we are absolutely going to go there and talk about your transformation. But I do want to ask you, looking back, so now you're two years in and you're in remission. Looking back at your entire your entire treatment journey, what advice would you give our listeners who are still sick and struggling to feel better? Understanding that everybody's different, but what would be one tip you'd want to give to people to give them hope and advice to heal and recover from Lyme disease? Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I like to share this at any sort of talk I do, but I think my number one thing is kind of what you were just saying of to have hope. Um, I used to every day, every, after every appointment with my Lyme doctor, and then you'd leave of, Hey, Bartonella is still in your body. And I mean, this sounds <laughs> a little pathetic, but I think people probably can relate where I would leave the appointment. I would go to this um, acai bowl <laughs> restaurant in Denver. I'd get an acai bowl and I would cry in my car and then wonder, am I, am I ever going to get better? Is this ever going to go away? And I would have my moment of like crying and feel sorry for myself. And then it was like, okay, now we're, we're going to keep fighting and moving on. So I think it's again, this balance of let yourself feel and then have hope that you're going to get better because I know it feels like you won't, but you, you will. And so I think just having hope is huge. And thank you for sharing that because so many people we've interviewed and talked to are at that point of their journey where, and just this week, they're going to their doctors and they're leaving and they're just having breakdowns. They're crying and they're, they're, they're wondering, am I ever going to get better? And we hear that so much. Am I ever going to get better? And Georgia, you are the perfect example of yes, you can, right? You were there. You've been where they are and you've gotten through it and you're now in remission and you're now using what you've learned to help other people, which is the perfect segue into now your, your transformation and your career change from a teacher to now becoming a certified holistic health coach. And you really are working to help people specialize in, and you're specializing in autoimmune and Lyme conditions. So talk to us about what made you stop teaching and pivot to go in that direction once you were in remission. Yeah. So I had my, so I finished my degree in 2014 got sick, put that on hold. Then, like I was sharing, went through that journey of, you know, this new phase of learning about infrared saunas and learning how to meditate and learning how to slow down and learning about baths and experimenting with bone broth and what, what was best for, you know, my symptoms. What, wow, not eating bell peppers and other nightshades is really helping my joints. And so I think it was, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it was this true calling of, you need to help other people with this because there are a lot of people who are sick, whether they're autoimmune or whether they're Lyme and with Lyme disease and you know what to do. You got better from this. So it's time for you to help people and to share what took you two years, help people do in a shorter amount of time. Um, so that was the real kind of calling for it. Um, I also, you know, I love, and loved teaching, but I physically, even going into remission, I'm, I'm, you may have had other guests. Once my body went into remission, I then had extreme fatigue, um, because my body was just so used to fighting. So again, I just, even though I was, the Lyme was gone and my co-infections were gone, I physically, um, I was exhausted. So it was that desire to help people. And then, um, I couldn't physically do it anymore. So, yeah. And I, I find that, so I work with people one-on-one and um, I, I just find, again, like I shared, I sat with them, so many doctors who don't have these conditions. And I think your listeners and people who have Lyme feel the same where you're so used to sitting with people who don't get it or being dismissed. And so I find that my clients find a lot of comfort in sitting with someone who can genuinely look at them and say, I, I, I know what you feel. I understand what you're going through. And here's what we're going to do. Um, so again, I'm doing that food of helping people with, here's how you need to eat here are meal plans and recipes to go with it. But then digging into that real transformation of here's how you take care of yourself better. Here's how you slow down. Here's what I want you to do for mindfulness. And then also I see you and I hear you. And, um, and that alone is, um, I think really key for people. So you're, you're, I mean, it's just, it's amazing how you mentioned earlier on, you had to see different specialists to treat different things, emotional, physical, 
mold and and you know binding you know binders to, to, to treat that but now you're helping people you're becoming sort of a one-stop shop to help with nutrition and to help with the emotional support and they're not alone and they can get through it and guiding them based on your own experience and you did mention that you and that you said it sounds sounds kind of cheesy but i have to tell you it's not when rich is not able to be with us today but the one observation rich always makes about the lyme community as a non-lyme person is in the beginning, he thought everybody would come onto this podcast and say, my life sucks. Lime is horrible. It destroyed my life. And what, what really blew Rich away is almost everybody we've interviewed has used Lime to become a better version of themselves and help other people. And you're the perfect example of that, Georgia, where you are now using your journey and your remission to help people shortcut their healing journey based on what you learned. So I think that's something really powerful and we had noted this offline before we started the podcast that when, when I was going through my journey and Rich had his tick bite, we learned the real experts in the Lyme community are the people who have been through it. So you are the perfect example, again, that somebody who's been through it is the right person to help you get through it as well. So we strongly encourage everybody to, to reach out to you and look, you know, look at what you offer. And if they are interested, Georgia, how can they find more information about you? Do you have a website, social media? How can they learn more about what you, your services and what you offer to people? Yeah, definitely. And just thank you for that. And, and I agree. I think Lyme is this, yeah, of course it sucks. No one likes it, but it also is, it really is a gift. It's, I am grateful for it. It's gotten me to be in this place where I can guide people to heal. And that's such a, a privilege and an honor to do. So I love that you mentioned that. Um, and yeah, to get in touch, um, <clears throat> I have my website, which is wbhnutritionco.com. Um, and on my website, you can actually schedule free 20 minute calls with me. So if you're curious how I work with clients, you can schedule those for free on my website. So that's wbhnutritionco.com. Um, and then I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is whole body healing um, with that wh. So that's what the WBH stands for in my business. Um, because again, I realized it's that whole body. It's about everything. It's about the mind, body, soul. So whole body healing on Instagram. Um, and I'm also newly on TikTok, so you can follow me there too. Um, but yeah, definitely check out my website. I have, you know, blog posts I've written about Lyme, um, recipes that are all there for free that are going to be conducive to healing and then ways to get in touch with me. Um, if you're interested in working one-on-one. -on -one. And Georgia, we have one final question we always ask all of our guests. And that is, if your mom called you after this podcast was over and said, Georgia, I've been bitten by another tick. What should I do? What would you tell her to do? Ooh, good question. Um, I would say to make sure you're removing it correctly hold on to it and then schedule an appointment with the Lyme literate doctor as soon as you can. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Georgia Gray. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Georgia Gray and her Lyme disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at Whole Body Healing. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please know we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review or rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you, as always, for listening.